All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11, the fourth commandment. And we are continuing our our study of the Christian Sabbath. And this morning we come to part one of two parts that will end this short series. Um, And our subject for the next two Lord's Days will be how to keep the Lord's Day holy. And just real quick, if you're here and you say, well, I thought that the fourth commandment wasn't for Christians. It's because you've not been here for the last five weeks. I can give you some resources, explain some stuff to you. But I know we have visitors and you're jumping in here on the end of this series. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, but we've spent five weeks examining the Sabbath. You know, many more weeks could have spent proving the doctrine. Uh, but I think what we've seen is sufficient. And if you think that a seven-week series is too long, I'll have you know... Uh, I listened to a, a 24-week series on it, uh, so you're welcome for not doing that to you. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think what we've seen so far is sufficient, um, and I hope that you all have concluded in your hearts that the Lord's Day is indeed the Christian Sabbath. And that now brings us to a very important subject. How do we keep the day holy? How do we keep the day holy? Now, we have to answer this question. We have to answer this question. There must be application of the doctrine or we have wasted our time in study. Just take this. Here's a freebie for all of your study of the Bible. The whole purpose of studying Scripture is not to fill your head. Rather, it is to inform your mind so that you might believe and obey the Lord from the heart. By the way, in God's kind providence, we heard Jesus' words in Matthew 7. And then we're in a week on applying the word. I didn't plan that. That just happened. Jesus says, hear my word and do them. That's how this works. So again, we've studied so that we might obey. So now the question is, how do we keep the Sabbath holy? Now our confession of faith, uh, the Second London Baptist Confession, answers that question very well in chapter 22, paragraph 8. So I'm going to read that paragraph to you now. How do we keep the Sabbath? The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe and holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employment and recreations, but are also taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy." Now, there's a lot to unpack there, and that's why we're going to take a couple of weeks. I'm not going to get into all of it this morning, but I do think that that paragraph is a helpful summary of what the Scriptures teach about the Sabbath. And I recommend all of our members, or if you're here and you're not a member, I think we have a few extra copies of our confession. Go home and think about and look at the proof text for chapter 22, paragraph 8 of our confession. Now, this morning, I want to cover the first half of Sabbath keeping. I want to cover the negative aspects of it. Um, When I say negative, I mean I want us to consider what we are not to do on the Sabbath since the day belongs to the Lord. And God willing, next week we'll consider what we should do on the Sabbath. So if if by the end of today you're thinking, well, what am I supposed to do then? Just wait or talk to me after the service. We can talk some. But next week we'll get into what do we do. So that's our theme this morning. What activities should we abstain from on the Lord's day? What's the general rule about working on the Sabbath? Are there any exceptions to that general rule? What about recreation? Again, what should we not do on the Sabbath day? Now, I want, I want you to know from on the front end that I will not get into the minutia of how to keep the day holy. I, I, I won't and I can't. 
there are a lot of questions, and this sermon's going to make you ask yourself a lot of questions that I'm not going to answer. And why is that? Because every circumstance, every situation brings more questions. So for the sake of time, I will not be able to get into all practical questions about Sabbath keeping, especially with regard to children and play on the Sabbath. Though I would love to talk with you personally about these things. Uh, But what I want to do this morning is lay broad principles, really five broad principles that each of us must apply to the Lord's Day. And these principles must be applied, please hear me, prayerfully, seeking the face of God, and with a sincere desire to keep the day holy to the Lord. Now, by the end of this sermon, as I've already said, I expect that many of you will still have questions about what is and is not acceptable to do on the Lord's Day. And I say that not from a a place of superiority, but as a convinced Sabbatarian, I still have some questions about what, what should we do in this situation. Because the circumstances and applications of the commandments of God can be difficult. But I am convinced that the word of God is sufficient. I am convinced that the principles of Scripture about keeping the Sabbath, when prayerfully considered by a pious Christian, by the help of the Holy Spirit, are enough for us to learn how to keep the day, even if it takes time for us to grow in our understanding. So with that said, may God bless the preaching of his word. And now if you would and are able, please stand with me for the reading of the inerrant, inspired, and infallible word of God. Exodus chapter 20. Verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for another opportunity to sit under the preaching of your word. Lord, the subject before us is big, and sometimes it's difficult for us in our fallen state to know how to apply it, but you've given us your word, and you've given us your spirit as sure and certain guides. So please, enlighten our minds open our hearts, and illumine the text this morning. Teach us how to honor you. Teach us true obedience. And show us our need for the Savior and how he has met our need. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Glorify yourself in us today. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Let me begin with some general remarks before we get into our text. Uh, First, you need to know that the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day, is a day of principles. It's a day of principles. Um, God does not give us an exhaustive book of rules telling us what is and is not acceptable on the Sabbath. He doesn't do it. He gives us a handful of principles that we are to apply to every situation that we encounter on the Lord's Day. So, right off the jump. I'm going to tell you this. I will not give you a list of do's and don'ts for the Sabbath. Some of you want the list. Not given it. Not going to do it. God hasn't given us a list. Again, he's given us principles. Quick thing here. The Pharisees wanted a list. 
And they made one. And it was a monstrosity in the eyes of God. Their lists, and I pluralized it then, their lists, it's chapters in the Talmud. Chapters. Their lists of rules for the Sabbath strangled out the goodness of the day and liberty and blessing that God intended man to have on that day. In fact, if you read the Gospels, our Lord spent a pretty good amount of time teaching against the man-made rules of the Pharisees and showing us that we, did not ha- we don't have to obey them. Our Lord spent a lot of time, just real quick, it's another thing to think about if you're still saying, I'm not so sure on the Sabbath. Our Lord spent a lot of time undoing bad views of the Sabbath day. Now, why did he spend so much time correcting views on the Sabbath if it was supposed to go away? It's because it's not supposed to go away. I'll just answer that for you. Um, Jesus spent a lot of time restoring the day to its intended design to be a blessing to man. So we will not look for a list of do's and don'ts. Rather, we will be satisfied with the principles that God himself has given us in his word. So know this. I want to encourage you. Each one of us have all we need to know how to keep the day. We have the word and we have the Holy Spirit. The hard part is that we must study, think, pray, and wrestle with it all. And that's the part that most Christians don't want to do. Why? Because a list is easier. It just is. A list is easier. Most of us would be pretty good Catholics. And what I mean by that is, let me just appeal to the authority. You tell me what to do. I don't want to think. I don't want to read the book. I don't want to think about it. You just tell me what to do, and I'll just do it. But we can't do that. We have to think and pray and wrestle with the text. And listen, we have to do that with all kinds of things in the Christian life. God often gives us principles instead of an exhaustive list of rules. He does it all the time. They're called the Ten Commandments. They're rules, yes, but there are principles contained in them. It's not an exhaustive list. Brothers and sisters, I want to be clear about something else before I go any further. I am not, by saying this, by saying that it's a day of principles and not a list of do's and don'ts, I am not telling you to be lax in your Sabbath keeping. That is not what I'm saying. But I am going to tell you on the front end that you are going to have to make some judgment calls about keeping the day in your life and in your house. What do I mean? I mean this. There will be matters of conscience on which Christians will differ about Sabbath keeping. It's going to happen. There will be some gray areas, and don't you hate them? I hate gray areas. I really don't like them. But there's going to be gray area that every Christian is going to have to decide on what to do using a scripture-informed conscience. You're going to have to make calls about Sabbath-keeping using these principles of Scripture, prayerfully applying them as you earnestly seek God's will and desire to honor Him and keep His day. God does not treat us like little children who have to have every single thing spelled out for them. God does this often. Again, I know I'm reiterating these points. God often gives us principles and then says, go and apply them in the fear of God, seeking to glorify God. So that's what we're going to do with the Sabbath. But a major guiding principle that governs this whole day that I think all the other principles fall under is this. And I'm taking this from Robert P. Martin's book, The Christian Sabbath. Ready for your big principle for the whole day? It's God's day. There's your principle. It's God's day. It's a day for him. It's a day to worship him all the day long. It's not the Lord's morning. It's the Lord's day. The day does not belong to you. It's God's 
day. He took it, he made it holy to himself. If we keep in mind that the day is his and that it's to be spent with him in meditation on him, in talking about him, in worshiping him, praying to him, you get the idea, then most of our questions about what we should and should not do on the Sabbath will be easily answered. If it is God's day, then we must not do what we want but must ask the question, is what I'm thinking about doing, is what I'm considering doing conducive to the purpose for which God gave the day? And that purpose is worship. If it's our day, we're free to do as we wish. But since it is God's day, the day must be used for the purposes for which he gave it. So again, Robert Martin put it this way in his book. If your question begins with, I know it's the Lord's day, but then you probably already have your answer. Not all the time, but most of the time. I know it's the Lord's day, but uh, we probably have the answer already. The day is to be kept holy. Again, the day is Godward. It's to be different from the other days of the week. It's for him, for his worship, and for fellowship with God. That's the big picture, and we have to remember that. But now we come to the big question of the sermon. What is forbidden on the Sabbath day? And to answer that, we look now to the fourth commandment. I'll, I'll read it again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh, uh, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. If you were paying attention, the prohibitions are found in verse 10. On it, you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Don't work. Simple enough. You ready for a Baptist uh, using a, like alliteration kind of a thing? Lay down your labor on the Lord's day. Yeah, I came up with that. I'm really getting into the Baptist stuff right now. Lay down, but for real, I hope that sticks with you. Lay down your labor on the Lord's day. Now, some people like to ask here, what is work? And there's two ways to ask that question, by the way. There's a sincere, well, what's work then? What does God not want me to do? And then there's this, which is how most people ask it. Well, what is work? If that's your attitude, be very careful. That's not pious. Don't be looking for loopholes. Don't be looking to walk as close to the edge as you can. If you're asking that question, I hope you're asking it sincerely. God doesn't define it. Read the command again. He doesn't define it. He says, don't work. He uses simple, ordinary language in this commandment, and so we ought to understand the word work in its simple, ordinary sense. Unless we want to deny the clarity of Scripture or the intelligibility of language itself, we need to take the word work in its most ordinary sense because that's how it's being used here. Um, I'll put it to you this way. I'm a little bit of a smart mouth. God expects us to use some sanctified common sense. Don't work. Verse 9 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So whatever work you do in the six days leading up to the Sabbath, you should cease. Whatever you do to make a living. Whatever you would, this is a great big way to look at it. Whatever you'd normally have to spend your time doing throughout the week, 
right? The, the work that you do in six days should stop on this day. The Sabbath is not a day for profit. It's not a day to catch up on housekeeping or house maintenance. It's God's day. And so we must stop working and give the day to the Lord. Now, three categories of people I want to address real quick. For those who work outside of the home or own a business, you should not go to work or open your business on the Lord's day. And if you're sitting here going, yeah, but my employer won't let me have the day off and I've petitioned, well, then let's talk later. Because I understand there are some difficulties there. Let's talk about that later. I don't have time to do it right now. But you should not go to work or open your business on the Lord's day. And there are exceptions to this general rule, and we'll get to that later. But you are to cease from your ordinary labors. Do no work on the Lord's day. Close your business doors. And if you're an employee, don't go to work. Take the day off and give it to the Lord. For those who work in the home or have housekeeping duties in the home, you're to lay down that work as well. You are to cease from your housework. The Lord's day is not a day to catch up on laundry or clean the kitchen or wash the baseboards or, all, or any of that stuff. And also, uh, here's a freebie, it's not a day for elaborate meals that take tons of preparation and keep you in the kitchen for hours, right? The whole like slaving over a hot stove, people really do that. It's not a day for that. You do those things on the other six days, so stop. You are to cease from your ordinary housework just as much as work outside of the home. Children also are to lay down their work too. The Sabbath is not a day for schoolwork. It's not a day to study secular subjects. It's, It's not a day for homework or school projects, and it's not a day to catch up on chores. It's not what it's for. You are to spend six days doing those things, but the Lord's day is for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, God appeals to his own example in verse 11. He made the world in six days and then ceased or rested from his work of creation on the seventh. And so we are to do the same. Again, I'm reiterating this on purpose. Whatever, we work, whatever work we ordinarily do throughout the six days of the week, we are to lay that down. And that, in part, is keeping the day holy. By the way, that's the most basic part of the command is the first verse. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then you go, okay, well, how do I keep it holy? And God says, I'm glad you asked. And he gives us the rest of the commandment. We're keeping the day holy when we do not work. How do we get that? Well, if something is holy, it has been set apart for God. It's been set apart. It's now different from the other things. And by refusing to engage in our ordinary work on the Sabbath, we are demonstrating this day is indeed different. And how are we demonstrating that? Because we're behaving differently on that day compared to the other six. There's stuff that I usually do that I'm not going to do today. Why? This day is different, and so I must act differently on this day. Again, we're going to use it differently. We're going to use the Sabbath to more intentionally spend time with the Lord and in his worship. Now, if you're not satisfied with what I've said about like this, this definition of work should be ordinary and broad, I don't have time to do it right now, but you can write this down. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 through 22. And Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 19 through 25. I'll repeat that. Nehemiah 13, 15 through 22. Jeremiah 17, 19 through 25. Read them today when you get home. It's the Lord's Day after all. Get in your Bible. But in those passages, you'll read how the people of Israel were rebuked for working on the Sabbath. And you also see examples of what they were doing and that they were doing servile, ordinary labor. You also read that they were profaning the Sabbath by buying and selling on it. 
So then we can conclude that on the Lord's Day, God forbids us to work or engage in ordinary commerce. Right? So no working, no buying, and no selling. So you are not to work on the Lord's Day. But that's not all. Did you catch that this commandment is bigger than you? God says on it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. We aren't to work and we aren't to allow anyone under our authority to work either. Parents, we are to make sure that our sons and daughters rest from their labor. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I can't make them Christians, but I can make sure that there is at least external obedience going on in my home. I can't change hearts, but I can make sure externally things are as they should be. So those in authority are to make sure, to the best of their ability, that those under their authority cease from their work. And this also extends beyond the home to employers. Where do I get, where's employer? Your male servant or your female servant? If you own a business, you have hired people to work for you. That's the language we use, isn't it? Yeah, I've been working for this guy for a few years. That's what you've been hired. That's what you've hired people to do. You've hired people to serve you for pay. That's what they're doing. They're serving you. So this means that those who own businesses are to close their shops on the Sabbath. They are, catch this, this is important. They are to ensure that their employees have the opportunity to observe the Lord's Day and not profane it by working on it. Neither you nor your servants are permitted to work on the Lord's Day. So catch this. In this commandment, God's actually telling employees, or rather employers, that they are to protect their employees' right to rest and worship God just as much as they are to protect their own right to do so. Employers are to encourage obedience to God, not just in their homes, but in their businesses. And to pursue this even further, this commandment prohibits taking, or rather making anyone work for you unnecessarily. Don't make people serve you, your servants. This means that we are forbidden to go out on the Lord's day. Going to restaurants and shopping centers and all that on the Sabbath is making people work for you. How is it doing that? You're paying them for services. That's what every customer does, by the way. Like, and I'm not just trying to, like, stretch that. Like, every customer pays you to do something for them, or they wouldn't give you money. They're pay- even if they're paying you to sell something to them, they're still paying you to provide a service for them. That's why we call it the service industry. Again, going to restaurants and shopping center and all that. You're making people work for you, not to mention you're engaging in buying and selling an ordinary work that you would do on the other six days. Let me push this one further. I mean this, even if I wasn't a Sabbatarian, I would not go out on the Lord's Day or do business anymore. When you go out and do business on the Lord's Day, you are encouraging employers to work their servants on the Sabbath. How how am I encouraging them? to? Because you're giving them money to do it. You are making the Lord's Day profitable for the employer. So, of course, he's going to be tempted to make his employee work on that day and not go to church. Know that. You're engaging in that. And by the way, I'm not just sitting up here trying to chastise anybody. I did this for years, and I never thought about it. 
I remember I used to go out to, uh, I used to go to B-dubs like every Sunday after church was over. Every Sunday night because we only met at 6 p.m. And it was the same server that I had because we sat at the same table and I invited her to church for months. And every time that I invited her, she said, I would, but I work on Sunday. And I thought, oh, like that's a shame. I hope they give you the day off. Also, I'm going to come back next week and make sure that you're still working because that's what I was functionally doing. I was contributing to the problem. So again, I'm not saying this with any kind of a finger. I, I've done this stuff. This is a flagrant violation of the fourth commandment. And sadly, this is incredibly common. And from what I hear, and it always makes me uh, uh, angrily laugh, the church crowd is the worst crowd on Sunday. I'm getting head nods from everyone who used to work at restaurants. And isn't it ironic that the church crowd shouldn't be there anyway? Just throwing that out there. Throwing that out there. While you are resting on the Sabbath, you are contributing to someone else profaning it and treating it as just another work day, which means you are profaning it yourself. So, so far we've seen that keeping the day holy means that we are not to work, we are not to engage in commerce, and we are not to make other people work either. Now, are there exceptions to this general rule? Yeah. The scriptures give us a resounding yes. Our confession states that while we are to abstain from work on the Sabbath, we are permitted to engage in duties of necessity and mercy or works of necessity and mercy. Now, what does that mean? And is there any Bible behind that statement? Now, the fourth commandment itself does not say this, but our Lord Jesus' example of Sabbath keeping shows us that there are certain kinds of work that we are allowed to do on the Sabbath and that we are not breaking the commandment if we do it. We see his example in many places in the Gospels, but this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, because that's, that's the most common place that people go to. But we could look in literally all of the Gospels. Again, Jesus clarifying proper Sabbath observation or observance is in every Gospel. Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14, and we're going to look at these, we're going to break them into verses 1 through 8 and 9 through 14. We're going to look at them so briefly. But in doing so, we're going to see how Jesus who is the Lord of the Sabbath, kept the Sabbath. So here we go, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something far greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." Now, there's so much there's so much to say about this that I can't this morning. In this passage, the Pharisees are, are accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the Sabbath. What was their crime? Plucking heads of grain to eat. According to the tradition of the Pharisees, again, remember this, the big long list of rules I told you? According to their tradition, since it was, it's forbidden in the Old Testament to um, harvest or thresh on the Sabbath, that doing that work is forbidden, they said that to pluck even a single head of grain was to harvest, and to rub that, hand, uh, he, that grain in your hand to get the kernel clean from the chaff is to thresh it. 
And therefore, to pick a single head of grain and eat it is a violation of the Sabbath. Real quick, what a ridiculously strained definition of work. And our Lord rejects it. It goes against all common sense. That's why I think we should have a common sense reading of the fourth commandment. Jesus rejects this. It is not work to pluck a head of grain and eat it on the Sabbath. You're satisfying human hunger. And so our Lord appeals to the scriptures. I like this. It always makes me laugh a little. He references how King David and his men once ate the bread of the presence. Now, the bread of the presence was holy bread that only the priests could eat under the old covenant. But in time of need, when David and his men were hungry, which, by the way, it wasn't even an emergency. They weren't starving to death. It just says they were hungry. Because his men were hungry, the priest gave David and the men the bread. Jesus' point is this. If a God-given ceremonial law, the bread of the presence, the law is about it. If a God-given ceremonial law could be set aside to meet the human needs of David and his men, then Jesus and his disciples can certainly set aside a man-made tradition in order to meet human needs. That's Jesus' point here. The big takeaway this morning for us is that by his own example, Jesus tells us that it's okay to meet human needs on the Sabbath. Jesus says, my disciples didn't do anything wrong. They were hungry, so they plucked some grain and ate it. We're allowed to meet human needs on the Sabbath. So these works of necessity are permitted on the Lord's day. And since he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he infallibly interprets the fourth commandment. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. This also tells us that any works that are necessary um, to worship are legitimate to do on the Sabbath day. Anything that is conducive to worship, where do I get that from? The priests work in the temple, and they don't profane the Sabbath. So works of necessity and anything that is conducive to worship is allowed to be done on the Sabbath. So again, a work of necessity is an activity that cannot be postponed or avoided on the Lord's day. This is something that is done every day, like preparing food, eating, resting, etc. This also covers emergency situations. It cannot be avoided. It is necessary. And this would also cover something that needs to be done in order to serve the purpose of the day. Some examples to make this a little more concrete. If your car breaks down on the Sabbath, and it's your only car, fix it. Why? You need to come to church. It's conducive to the ends of the day. You need to go to worship. Fix the car. Right? And you also, you need to be able to get to the hospital or some other place if something were to happen to you or someone in your family. It's necessary. Do it. If your pipes burst, fix them. Amen, Nigel? His, Nigel's pipes burst a couple of years ago on the Lord's Day. People went to his house and fixed them. There's no violation. Your home's in danger. It's necessary. If your house is burning down, put it out. <laughs> it's necessary. If animals need fed, feed them. Don't let them go hungry. If you're tired, take a nap and rest so that you're better able to worship later. Don't just sleep for the sake of sleeping. But if you're tired, rest so that you might worship better later. If you're hungry, eat or prepare a simple meal. This would also include those necessary works that accompany our advanced technology. Clearing the road of wrecks on the Lord's Day, totally fine, necessary. Keeping telephone lines working, keeping electric plants running, those things are necessary. They're absolutely necessary. I don't, you can't have church in the evening if it's dark in your building, can you? Keep the electric plants on. 
Now, these kinds of things simply must be done on the Sabbath, or there will be human suffering and or the day cannot be properly spent in worship because of distress or hardship. That's a work of, of, of necessity. Now, I must say this before I go any further. Determining whether or not something is a work of necessity is a judgment call that each Christian is going to have to make himself. This is the part that no one likes. The scripture gives us the example of Christ in the Gospels, but the scriptures do not get into many particulars about what constitutes necessity. And so, much of determining a work of necessity will be a matter of spirit-led, scripture-informed Christian conscience. And every Christian will have to individually answer to God for his actions. Please know that. Don't play fast and loose with this stuff just because there's some gray. But we need, in the spirit of keeping the law of God, to make sure that we're not pretending that something is a necessity in order to justify working on the Lord's day or not preparing well for it. We must be convinced that something is truly necessary and justifiable before God to do on the Sabbath and is in keeping with the spirit of the day. But we must not let our definition of necessity to become so broad that it functionally destroys the Sabbath day by turning it into an ordinary day of work and commerce. And now we move on to works of mercy. Verses 9 through 14. He, Jesus, went on from there and entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This one's actually much simpler, I think. Here Jesus shows us by example that it is always good to do good on the Sabbath. It is always good to relieve human suffering. That's the kind of good he's referring to here. It's always good to alleviate human suffering. Whether it's the Sabbath or any other day, it's always lawful to do good. Now the Pharisees thought that you could save a life on the Sabbath. If they were going to die, if you don't intervene, you can save their life. But if they're not going to die, their suffering can wait until the next day. That's cruel. Someone gets their leg crushed by something. Ah, sorry. Can't put a stent or can't put a can't put a brace on it or anything. Why? Because he's not gonna die. Just leave him on the bed. That's the Pharisaical view of the Sabbath. What does Jesus say? Help them now. That's what Jesus says. And this shows us that works of mercy are no violation of the Sabbath. Now, work of mercy is activity that stems from compassion for fellow human beings and is done to relieve suffering. It's work that preserves life and promotes the well-being of our neighbors. Some examples of this. We have some of these. Nurses, doctors. If Bob gets called to the ER to remove something from someone's eye on the Sabbath, go. Leave. Go help them. Police, firefighters. EMTs and the like, they're all working on the Lord's Day, but they're not profaning it. They're doing what Jesus did. They're doing what Jesus did. They're helping people and loving their neighbors by protecting and caring for them. Now, they need to make sure that they're not working every Lord's Day. There needs to be some kind of a rotation there. But it's okay for them to go out and work a shift from time to time on the Lord's Day. They're doing good. 
Visiting the sick and caring for them is good to do on the Lord's day. Giving alms to the poor is good to do on the Sabbath. If someone's sick, hear me, if someone's sick, go get them medicine and give it to them. I don't care what day it is, which fun fact, and the Sabbatarians in the room already know this, pharmacies should still be open on the Sabbath. In keeping with this command, they should, at least for a few hours. Why? Because people need medicine. People get sick on the Lord's day. People need help. Help them. People run out of medicine and need prescriptions filled on the Lord's day. Help them. So yeah, human suffering is to be relieved even if it is the Lord's day. As Jesus said in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The day is not a day of pain and burdens, but is a day of blessing and good works. So then, we see that though we are to cease from our ordinary labors, works of necessity and mercy are no violation of the fourth commandment. Now, many questions, I no doubt, remain in your mind. Well, what about this? Is this a necessity? Like, there's still going to be questions like that. But I think that R.L. Dabney, the Southern Presbyterian theologian, had a really good thought here. He said, let conscience and heart respond to God's requirement that his day be hallowed by us, and the details will be easily arranged. He said, if you're, if you're truly seeking to honor the Lord and keep his day holy, those things will usually work themselves out in your mind when the moment comes down to it. And I think that's right. That's been my experience. And now we move on to another question. And this is a question a lot of you have, and this is some of your guys' beef with our confession at this point. Is work the only thing prohibited on the Sabbath? The answer is no. The Word of God teaches us that we are to abstain from worldly recreation and speech as well as worldly work. We see this in the words of God in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13. God says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. And then verse 14 picks up from there. Here we see that the Sabbath command is very broad. It causes us to cease from all of our works of the ordinary days right down to what we talk about. This verse tells us that to turn back your foot from the Sabbath, that is to keep it holy, means that we are to cease from our pleasure on God's holy day. And your pleasure here means your will, your ways, your desires. God says you cease from those things. In other words, we must do what God requires on the Sabbath, and that means that we may not always do as we please rather as we can on the other days. The day is not to be spent on whatever we want. It's God's day and is to be spent toward him and with him. So this means that we ought to rest from our recreation. Now this does not mean that you can't have any pleasure on the Lord's day. The day is not meant to be gloomy or burdensome. It's meant to be a delight. But our delight on the Sabbath should be in worship, meditating on the word, having holy conversations with our brothers and sisters, and enjoying the company of God's people. Our other worldly pleasures are to be put down for the day, even though those things are legitimate on other days of the week. Why? Because they're not the purpose of the day. Just consider this with me. The Lord's day is not a day for recreation. It's not. Why? Because that's not the purpose of it. And hear me, it's not a day for games. It's not a day, oh, all of us are bad at this. It's not a day for mindlessly scrolling on our phones. 
Going out to the theater and sitting around for a half hour on your phone, just mindlessly rolling through Facebook, just equal violations of the Sabbath there. It's not a day for entertainment. It's not a day for watching sports or secular films. By the way, I didn't realize until yesterday that today is Super Bowl Sunday. Just real quick, it's the Lord's Day. It's not Super Bowl Sunday. It is the Lord's Day. It's not a day for secular films, secular books, and all the rest. The day is a day for worship. That is the whole purpose of the day. And so work is prohibited because it takes us away from worship and meditation on the things of God. Likewise, recreation is prohibited because it also takes us away from the proper use of the day. And catch this. God forbids talking idly on the Sabbath. That is talking about things that don't matter. The King James Version puts it this way. Speaking your own words. Our conversations should not be on the things of this world on the Lord's Day. They shouldn't be about work, sports, swapping funny stories, or any other idle thing. Our conversations should be chiefly concerned with the things of God on the Sabbath. And hear me, this does not mean that we can't catch up with one another to some extent. After all, we have to know one another And we have to know what's going on in one another's lives in order to fulfill the biblical commandment to love one another. And this doesn't mean that we can't talk to some extent about what's going on in the world around us. But in all our speech, our goal should be to shift it in a Godward edifying direction. That's the goal of all conversations on the Lord's Day. Now listen, some of you are sitting here going, what? And I'm right there with you. I I am not very good at this yet. I'm not. You guys have seen me here on the Lord's Day. I like to tell stories. I like to make people laugh. That's not the purpose of the Lord's Day, though. I've been convicted reading or or studying for this sermon. We can grow, though. But the, the point of this is that in word, thought, and deed, just like all the other Ten Commandments, word, thought, and deed, we are to be concerned with the Lord and not our own will and pleasures. And I have, to, I have to say this as well. This does not mean that recreation is bad. Playing and watching TV and all that's not intrinsically evil. Just like, is working bad? No. You're commanded to work. But we're to lay down our work in order to give the day to the Lord. The same goes with recreation. It's not bad, but we're to lay it down in order to give the day to God. Now, I know some of you are, are thinking this, because I used to argue this, actually, until like a year ago. Isn't recreation a legitimate form of rest? And if I'm supposed to rest on the day, that means I can recreate. And to that, I say yes, in a sense. Recreation is a form of rest. I don't deny you can rest and relax while you watch a film. You can rest and relax if you play golf, if you're a snob. (laughs) Right? Or, Or whatever. But catch this. What is the point of resting on the Sabbath? What's the What's the purpose behind God's command for you to rest? It's to free you up to spend the day in worship. Now, here's a thought for, for you. This, this, comes, uh, this came from a conversation between me and my wife. We rest from our labors in order to have time to worship God all the day long. But if you rest from your labor and then give yourself over to games and watching sports and idle conversation... You have ceased from your labor, sure, but you've replaced work with recreation instead of worship, which defeats the purpose of the day just as much as working does. 
God commands us to cease from our ordinary activities for the purpose of worship. And check this out. The Puritans nailed this. Recreation can keep us from worship more easily than work can. Why? Because it's fun. What's easier to, get to do? Go to work for eight hours or to watch three movies? Give me the films. I love films. I love watching movies. Recreation can take you away from worship easier than work can. And that's why God forbids it. So then in summary, we see the principles of what's forbidden on the Sabbath. We are not to work. We are not to make others work. We are to make sure that all under our authority do not work. We are permitted to do works of necessity and mercy. And we are to cease from our worldly recreations. Those are the principles for what we should abstain from on the Lord's day. I'm not done yet. I know I've been up here for 45 minutes, but you're going to be fine. I know that you guys have questions. And actually, the amount of questions that people have is an objection that some people try to raise against the Sabbath. And I need to address that. Some people will say this. I've heard some of you say this. There are so many questions and what ifs and what abouts that it is impossible for us to know how to properly keep the day. So then we must not have to do it. I'd like to address that thought right now because, again, I've heard a couple people here and I've heard a lot of people on the street raise that. First, uh, the Jews kept the Sabbath. (laughs) I'm not trying to smart off here. The Jews kept it. Did they keep it perfectly? Well, who can? No, they didn't keep it perfectly. Who can perfectly cease from all their worldly thoughts, words, works, uh, and, and desires for the whole day? No one can do this perfectly. But we also know that God was not always going on about how the Jews were Sabbath-breaking either. There was, a, there was a point in time in the nation where they were at least relatively righteous. So to a large degree, at least externally, they must have kept the day properly. So then this is doable to a large degree. We can indeed keep from flagrant Sabbath breaking, just as we can indeed keep from flagrant violations of the other nine commandments, even if we can't keep them perfectly. Second, you have to remember the sufficiency of Scripture. The Jews had the same Old Testament that we have. They had this commandment to keep the Sabbath. And God tells us his word, read 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, his word is enough to instruct his people on how to honor him. So that means his word is enough to teach us how to keep the day holy. So the principles that are outlined in scripture are indeed enough. We just have to prayerfully and diligently apply them in our lives. To deny that the scriptures are enough on the Sabbath is to actually deny the sufficiency of scripture in general. And we can't do that. Third, as I've said earlier, on some questions regarding what is acceptable to do on the Lord's Day, I I want to reiterate this. Some Sabbath keepers are going to disagree. Me and Pastor Stephen have a couple of small things that we disagree on. There will sometimes be a difference of opinion on how to apply the principles that God has given us, and we must bear with one another on those issues. Some things are clearly flagrant violations of those principles and everyone can see them, but other things are not always clear to everyone. But every man, again, must, before God, earnestly seek to honor him while strictly avoiding any flagrant violations of the Sabbath. And you say, I don't really like that. Listen, this shouldn't bother you because it happens all the time in our Christian lives. Happens all the time. I came up with like 15 examples of this that I can share with you after church, but I'll give you one. Giving to the poor. 
Um, imagine this. Here's the, here's the situation. This happens all the time in Forsmouth. A man is on the side of the road, and he's asking for money. The scriptures give us some principles. The scriptures demand us to be charitable and generous. The scriptures also speak in the Proverbs of the foolish and wicked poor. And the scriptures also command us to be wise and good stewards with our money. So what does a Christian do in this situation? Taking all of this together, two Christians see the man on the side of the road, but only one of them decides to give him money. Now, one of them did the right thing, and the other one didn't. The man either should or should not have been given money. But should they condemn each other? No. Why? Because they're both trying to live out the principles of Scripture as best as they currently know how to do. So what should they do? Well, they should talk to each other. The one should give his reasons for why he gave, and the other should tell why he didn't give. And then they should both prayerfully consider what the other has said, search the Scriptures, and ask the Lord to guide them by his word and spirit. But neither of them can say that just because the application of those three principles with generosity and dealing with the poor, none of them can say that just because the application of those three principles was difficult, that they just don't have to be generous. That's silly. They both agree on the principles, but the application is just really difficult at times. So what do they have to do? They have to give each other some room to grow and live before God with a scripture-informed conscience while continuing to interact with one another on this issue. Now, the same kind of thinking and doing should be applied to more difficult matters of conscience concerning Sabbath-keeping. The application can be difficult, but that does not negate what the scriptures teach about the Lord's Day. Now, again, you're probably saying to yourself, but I've still got questions about how to keep the day and what is and is not allowed. Well, me too. Join the club. Join the Sabbatarian Club. We all have questions. I've got questions like this for actually a handful of the other commandments, if you want to talk about it. I put you in a difficult enough situation. Gray emerges, I promise. So let's work through them together as the people of God. Let's prayerfully study the scriptures, talk to one another, and leave room for each other to grow as we seek to live with a clean conscience before God on how to keep his Sabbath day holy. Let's do it together. But brothers and sisters, what is, the, what is the point of all of this? Why does God want us to rest from work and lay down our recreations every week? Why does he want us to do that? Why does he care? Three things. Worship. <laughs> worship. He wants us to worship him on his day. He wants us to spend the day with him that we might be blessed by him. And so he has, by his holy commandment, freed up the day for us. That's what he's done. He's freed it up. Worship is good for you. Do you know that? You know, God will never command you to do something that's not good for you. At least in an ultimate sense. Maybe painful now, but it's better later. Worship's good for you. We benefit when God is glorified. He is sanctifying us on his day. Read Exodus 31. And so God says, lay it down and come to me. Why? Because he wants to bless us as we worship him. Second, he wants us to rest. This is a blessing. He wants to bless us through physical rest. He says, take a break. Take a, and I was, I was talking, and this may be anecdotal, I was talking to Wyatt about this yesterday. If you don't think being commanded to take one day a week off is a blessing, you probably don't work hard enough. And listen, I'm not saying that I'm the hardest worker in the world, but if you don't think that it's a blessing to be told, stop working for a day, then you probably don't work very much. 
God loves us and wants us to not only spiritually be blessed, but physically. So take the blessing and take the day off. Spiritually and physically, it's for your good. And last, last that I have here, God wants to reorient us. God cares about the Sabbath because it centers us. As you rest from your work, you are forced to remember that you don't need to work all the time because you are not God. You're forced to trust in the one who oversees all your affairs. We don't need to do business every day because God will take care of us and provide for our needs in the other six days. He's teaching us to remember that he is God and that we are not and that we can trust him. And as he calls us to lay down our work and recreations, again, he's teaching us what is most important here. Again, he's re- reorienting us. What's he telling us? What, do we have to, what are we confronted with on the first day of every week? We're confronted with this. The purpose of life is not to make money, keep a clean house, or amuse ourselves to death. The purpose of life is worship. The purpose of life is to know God and live before him with a clean conscience through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, since that is the highest purpose of all things, God makes us lay down our work and play once a week that we might be recentered and refocused on what is important, him. That's what the Sabbath does every day. In summary, God, God cares about us keeping the Sabbath because he loves us. He doesn't command this stuff for his good. It's for our good. It's a blessing to us. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's a day to spend with God. It's a day to rest our bodies. And it's like a holy reset button that clears away all the lies of the world so that we can remember what matters the most. Of course he wants us to keep this day holy. He knows we'll suffer and have clouded minds if we don't. And he loves us too much for that. And so he hates Sabbath breaking. Again, It's a day for him. Yes, it is the Lord's day. But in another sense, it's not for him. It's not for his benefit that he gave the day. He doesn't need your worship. You need to worship. It's for your benefit. Again, the Lord of the Sabbath loves you. But as I near the end of this sermon, I want us to look to Christ. You know we've only covered half of what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. How you doing? Not too good? Same. Same. Not too good. We've, and we've not even begun to consider what you should do on the Lord's Day. And that one's tough too. But we're already confronted with one half of this commandment that not one of us can keep it. Not one of us has ever kept it. The non-Sabbatarian definitely hasn't done so. But even the convinced Sabbatarian has not ever perfectly kept this law. Who among us would dare say that all the day long our thoughts, thoughts, Words and works were completely and totally God-centered. If you think that you've done that, if you say, well, you know, I think maybe I did that last week, or maybe I've done that so far today, I want you to realize that you're actually saying that at least for one day, you have loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Congratulations, you're a liar. You've broken the ninth commandment and the fourth. Not one of us has done this. Not one of us. Brothers and sisters, though we must strive to keep the law out of gratitude, every attempt to keep the Sabbath holy should remind you that you need Christ. Every Lord's Day is a reminder that we are sinners and that we need Jesus to save us from our sins. Why? Because we can't even keep his day the way we should. 
You should be reminded of that every day. If not, you're lowering the Sabbath to what the Pharisees did. You're lowering the requirements of the law. So just considering this first half of the Sabbath command, do you see your need for Christ in a fresh way? I hope you do. Do you see your need for a perfect Savior? One who kept the law? Do you see your need for an atonement for your sins? How many wasted Sabbaths do we have? How many times have we encouraged others to violate the Lord's day? Do you see your need for a sin-bearing Savior who will bear your broken Sabbaths? Do you see your need for a righteousness outside of yourself to be given to you? A perfect Sabbath keeping to be given to you? The law has revealed all of these things to us today because none of us can keep it. But as we see our need, we should know that Christ has met every need for all who believe. He kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy, sin-stained rags, our Sabbath-breaking rags, and has given us his righteous robe. He is our Savior, and he is our righteousness. So Christian, as I come to a close, let let the law drive you to Christ. And let Christ lovingly point you back to the law to obey it out of gratitude for the free and full salvation that he has worked on your behalf. May God help each one of us to keep his Sabbath. And may we do so for the honor of the Lord of the Sabbath, who has saved us from our sins. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. You have been so kind to us to give us Christ. You've been so kind to us to give us your law. What, what people... As Deuteronomy 4 says, what people have a law this righteous and this good and this holy? Only your people. Help us to keep it, God, but never to save ourselves. Only Christ can save us. And I pray that on the Lord's day, that we would, that we would honor it better and better every week, but that we would not become self-righteous, but would be confronted each week with a need for, this, for the Lord of the Sabbath, who saves us from the wrath to come. We thank you for Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.